I'm Ryan Nidell, host of 15 Minutes of Freedom, your daily action guide to getting shit done. Today, I have an incredibly special guest on the show, a published author, a life coach, I'll call it a performance optimization coach, and a professional golfer. I have Thane Marcus Ringler on the show. Thane, how are you today? I'm doing great, Ryan. It's, it's awesome to be here with you in this really cool studio backdrop I'm getting a look at right now with the blue and black checkered. You, you did yourself, my friend. I appreciate that. I have enough left over that I can send you some if you want them just complimentary <laughs> to put on your wall. We've got plenty left over. Uh, maybe I'll hit you up, yeah. But in that thing, I got I to ask right away. If there was one massively impactful lesson you could have taken away from your professional golf career, what would that lesson be? Mm, one lesson. I love that. You know, I think it's really what under undergirds my book. Um, and it's these, it's a twofold thing. It's one, take ownership and two, never settle because that's really what professional golf instilled in me is that at the end of the day, playing professional golf came down to me and my performance on the course. Sure. There was coaches and there's people pouring into me. And that's really important. You need that support. But at the end of the day, there's no one else to blame. There's no referees. There's no teammates. You know, it comes down to you and your your own performance. So I had to take ownership of it fully. And then I could never settle for less than I'm capable of because my success fell 100% on my shoulders. And so I think those are two really powerful lessons that it just instilled deep in my bones from striving to be the best that I could on the golf course. And I, I love that thing. So let's talk about that for a second. So you you're a Midwest guy. You're not, you might be in LA now, which is a whole nother story, obviously. <laughs> you're from what, Kansas? From Kansas. Yep. Center of America, the heartland of America, actually, you know, the birthplace of Superman. So, you know, it's a, it's a good place. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so when, when's the first time you picked up a set of clubs? When do you remember swinging the first time? You know, it had to have been three or four. I don't necessarily have the exact memory of so early on, but my dad got me into it early. It's one of those things. I, I was competitive. I loved anything active outside. And so he got a club in my hands early. We went in the backyard, got to hit, hit, swing the club around, hit the ball around. And it was fun, you know, being with dad, hanging out outside and just doing something active. It's recipe for awesome times. So that's, I think, when I got started and just fell in love with it. We lived about a mile away from an amazing golf course, one of the best in the country, Prairie Dunes Country Club. And so it was just a really natural fit right away. And so you then played not only from three or four all the way through high school, but you went and played college golf too, right? Yeah, I did. It was at the Masters University. It's a Christian school out here in California. Um, so I ended up coming out here, you know, from Kansas to California, partly because I, I love the school, what it stood for, and I love the coach and the teammates. But also, I mean, playing golf in California, you can play year round. Kansas is about four months, you can't. So that was a big incentivizer for me, too. Um, so it was a sweet experience. How is that? Like, I got to understand that the Christian college in California, like where at geographically is it in California? Because I always think California is super, you know, transient and yeah. essential and all these different terms. Like I, I love California for the, the spiritual connection out there. So where, where was the university? How was that? Yeah, so it's just north of LA, about 30 miles in Santa Clarita of all places. But it's kind of funny, Santa Clarita, even though it's only 30 miles north, it's a couple valleys, like two valleys north to where it's almost like a whole different culture. It's a very family oriented community. It's very like slower paced. And it's where a lot of people go that can afford housing that's not affordable in LA. <laughs> and right. then they face an hour and a half of traffic every day, both ways. Um, 
So it's, it's a kind of like, it's a funny place. But the funny thing I've learned about California, if you haven't lived out here, the, what, we, what we assume upon California is really mainly in the, the, the cultural hubs, which is the North California hub of San Francisco Bay Area or Silicon Valley, and then the SoCal hub of LA. But really the rest of California is a big state with lots of people and it's very much more aligned with the rest of the country. I mean, much more smaller, simpler, slower pace of life, um, farmer oriented. There's a lot of farmers in, in middle, middle California. Um, so it's just, it's, it's uh, different than you would assume or expect actually outside of the cultural city centers, of course. Of course, of course. Well, you're, you're touching on a, a hot button right now for me. It's something that just keeps pulling me. And that's that Christianity, religion, conversation. Yeah, I'll yeah. preface and set this framework for you guys that are listening. That Thane and I discussed prior to the show that he had listened to an episode that I had with Cody Jefferson. Cody was a retired minister and we got into some really crazy conversations. Like our rabbit hole went pretty deep. And in that it sparked a healthy conversation where I truly, from where I sit, I don't know what my religious beliefs are. Like I like having these conversations because it forces me to expand and consider new possibilities. And so walk me through what Christianity means for you and, and some of the, the ties to today's life and some of the things we spoke about on Cody and I's episode. Like, let's just go there. Let's, let's see what yeah. comes out of this. I love it. No, it's cool. It's fun to explore and just to have a conversation. Um, and I think for me, what, what Christianity, uh, we were talking about earlier, and I do believe that if everyone, if we're honest with ourselves, there is a hole in our hearts that everyone can relate to. And it's a hole that says, what's the point? What's the purpose? Why are we here? What's the meaning in life? And it's, an, it's a question that we can't really honestly answer um, in 100% knowing, you know, it takes, that's where the faith, there has to be some element of faith that fills that hole. Um, for me, I grew up in a Christian home in the church. So from a cultural, from a background, from a nurture standpoint, that was, that's my bias, right? Naturally. But as I've lived too, it's not only my bias, but it's now my personal experience. And then also intellectual understanding that informs that. Um, and it comes from the Bible. And so, what the Bible teaches and what I believe to be true is that um, God inspired the words in the Bible. So it's from him. It's his direct revelation to us. Right. And then through that, we get to know him, but we also know him through creation because I mean, something as simple as watching a sunset. I just, it's so helpful for me. It's actually one of the practices I've been trying to instill more is like going watching a sunset because it reminds me that I am one of 10 billion people on this planet and the world does not revolve around me, <laughs> which is right. tough, right? Yeah. <laughs> we always think it does and it doesn't. Um, so anyways, I think the point of Christianity is like, I believe that what the Bible teaches is that there is a God, he's created us. Um, there is a heaven and a hell and that Jesus Christ was the son of God who came down to save us by dying for us. And he's the way to heaven to know God. So that's a premise of the Bible and of Christianity. Um, a lot of religions, though, share the same underlying foundation of morality and of um, things that relate to our conscious, like we talked about before, too, right? The conscious is something that we all have, and we don't necessarily know where that comes from. Scientifically, they don't know what forms or influences the conscience and how we have it instilled in us. So there's these things that we just can't answer. Um, and I think 
for me, the, the one thing that I would add on to all of that is like, I, of course, again, I'm biased because I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. So what I believe is that Jesus Christ is the difference. So he's the one that if he was truly the son of God, then that's the only way. Now, if he wasn't, if you're just a good dude, like then that's all out, right? So that's the, that's the determining like linchpin in Christianity versus other religions, but they do share many of the same things. Yeah, of course. So, so you, you touch base on something that I took a lot of heat for in the past week from listeners. And so I had an episode that I put out called Your Own Personal Jesus. And obviously there's some blasphemy in that. I, I didn't mean it to in, a, in a blasphemous sort of way. I mean, I, I truly don't know what I believe right now. Totally. So in that, my thing was, if I meditate every day, and through my meditation, I get a download of information. I can choose to say that's God speaking to me, or I can say it's the universe, or I can say it's my subconscious. I think all of which can be intermingled with the way that I presently view the world, universe. In that, yeah. journaling down whatever comes out right after that, that ends up being my own version of scripture because I'm just, I'm just sharing God's words, the universe's words, whoever, from, my, from him through my brain onto a sheet of paper. And what I was saying is we should all journal every day because in that, the day comes later in life where you can hand down your gospel, you know, you, your, your life's work. You can hand that to somebody no different than the Bible has been passed down. And you're sharing your version of God's work through you on a daily basis. And the, the amount of input that I got that was not so friendly was, uh, was incredible, which again, for me, speaking to a, a Christian, and I respect you for it tremendously, I view Christianity as this hub for, obviously, at some point, forgiveness and understanding and repent and, uh, you know, realizing the fact that we're all humans walking around doing the best we can. And at some point, we make mistakes and do things we're not proud of. And as long as you truly mean you're sorry from your heart, that you're not necessarily damned to hell forever. But in this, these same people that are loving the, the, the Christianity methodology are the ones that are coming like full speed into my email box, like, you're going to hell. How could you say that? How could you? And I'm like, hold on. I'm like, I'm not saying I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm not saying I'm God. There's no part of me that's saying, and admittedly, I do believe that if we're all come from one divine being, then that we would have a godlike tendency to all of us. Like my mind goes way out there. I get it. I'm not calling myself God, but it's like, how's, how are those things for you? Like, what are you? It's fascinating, dude. Yeah. I mean, you're hitting on so many great tensions and um, I, I think it's, I, I think, well, the, to underscore what you're saying, I think that it's really important and a really helpful mindset to have to view everyone equally and the way that the Bible communicates it. And what I believe is that we're all created equally for two reasons. One, because we're all creating the image of God is what the Bible tells us. So he's made us as image bearers of him, which means everyone has inherent worth and value that you can't take away. No one can take that away. It doesn't matter where you live. If you're living on the street, which we say a homeless person, we, we put them immediately below us, but they're really the same as us. They have that divine value. And then I also believe that we're all born sinners. Like we have a sin nature, meaning you don't teach a kid how to be bad. They just naturally be like, they disobey. And, and that's, you have to teach them how to obey. Um, because as your, as their parent, and you know this better than I do, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a father, but you know, it's like, it's a hard discipline. Like it's an important part of being a, a parent is teaching them in the right way to go. Um, at least to some extent. And so because of that, no one's 
better than anyone else. We all, we all are on the same plane. So those are kind of the two things that help me try to strive to see each other equally. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think the hard part with what you said, I guess the thing that I have, a tr when I hear that, the thing that I, I think is a little bit of the missing link is that if, if all truth is relative, then there really is no truth because it's subjective. And so that's the, that's the down the whole rabbit hole of like, okay, you know, what is truth then, you know? And so it's just, the, the hard part is, um, so I guess, I guess what I believe is just that the, the Bible um, gives us a way through Christ um, because in light of those two realities, and if God is a righteous, just God, which we all want him to be um, because, you know, every superhero movie, the good guy wins and we love it um, because that's how we're wired. Um, but if he is and he can't be in the presence of sin and then it's all this confusion, and that's what's crazy about the Bible is this is crazy story from start to finish. And if, if you're listening, you haven't read it. I mean, it's worth reading at least once. I mean, it's one of the most historical documents there is today, whether or not you believe it to be God's word. Um, and it's fascinating because you see this narrative where um, God's created people, they fall, like they, they, just, they disobey him. And then they're, because of that, they're forever separated from God, which I believe hell is being separated from God for eternity. Like that's what hell is. Um, and so there, how do we get reconnected? Or how do we get back to be right with God? And then there doesn't seem like there is an answer, but then all of a sudden here comes Christ who is equal with God as part of the Trinity and now as a man, and then he lives a perfect life and he dies for us and redeems us. And he just asks for faith in him. So it's just like this crazy story but i think the thing for me that helps me reconcile all this because there are tensions there's always tensions in there i think god's infused gray into that because if there's not gray if there's only black and white in that story then there's no faith like if we know exactly this is this and this without like the holy spirit and these experiential things then there's a lot that faith isn't as important um and so for me, not only is it the intellectual understanding from reading God's word daily um, and studying it just like Cody, like you had on the past, like very much I studied it in college. I studied it my whole life. I've been taught it my whole life. Um, so striving for a deep understanding of the Bible. But not only that, I can speak to the personal experience. Like I have experienced for me God's transformation. And so I, I can't, I, that's something that you can't quantify as much, but I am able to live more Christ honoring, God honoring in a way that he would want from his word and what he communicates and loving him and loving others well in ways I never would have before. I mean, I, things that I did in the past that I'm not proud of now that we all mess up, right? We all sin, we all fall short. And that's and the definition of sin from the Greek is hamartia, which is missing the mark. So it's missing the mark for what God has for you meaning he's designed us for this specific way that this is the way that we're most blessed, we're most joyful, we're most um, profitable on the earth. And when we miss the mark for that, um, it's sin. It's missing the mark for what he has for us. Um, and so I've experienced for me, like, man, my life is so much more meaningful, purposeful, and joyful when I'm living for, and th that's where Romans eleven thirty six is kind of my motto verse. It's for from him and through him and to him are all things. And when I'm living in light of that from, through, and to him, I, I've never experienced a hole in my heart. Like there's something more like when I'm lit now, the caveat is when I'm living in that way, there's times when I stray, right? And then there's that hole it's back there. 
So it's just, I, there's a personal experience that I can't explain as much. Well, I, I love that. I mean, to me, part of this thing, and, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, was the fact that there has to be a blind trust in something greater. Like, it, in some capacity, and again, I truly don't care if, if I laughingly say, if, if you are, you know, Jewish and you believe Judaism is a path or Christian or you like a unicorn or you're a devil worshiper, like, I, I can't say I understand them all. And I don't know that I would necessarily agree, but you ultimately have to have a blind trust and faith in whatever it is that's burning in your soul that gets you to that place of salvation at the end of the day. And whatever salvation looks to you, it has to just be deeply rooted. Like there's, you have to have faith in something you can never touch. And when you can touch it, you can't prove to anybody else that was actually there because you're now part of something greater. Yeah. Yeah. There, the faith is something that, you know, again, it's, it's believing in what you can't fully see, but the one caveat I would say is I don't think it is fully blind. So I think for me, like it's studying God's word and from that I'm informed and I make an informed belief based on what I'm reading and studying and experiencing. But there is an extent to that knowledge, meaning you can only know as much as God's revealed to us through his word. And there's limitations to that, right? He hasn't revealed himself 100% because we're human and we can't 100% know the infinite. But you're right in that the faith is you can't separate it. It's inextricable from it. But I, got, I got to ask them, then, how do you describe, or how do you, describe is probably the wrong term. There's so many different religious beliefs. You know, if, if we go all the way from Judaism to, you know, Catholicism and all the different subsectors of Christianity and what that looks like, not to mention all the other, you know, we could go on totally. for hours, you know, and, and, I'll always say like, who came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, which one yeah. came first? So I think that's ultimately at some point that becomes tough to debate back and forth because I can't, if we lined up, you know, uh, you and uh, someone that believes, that, you know, the Jewish way is the way and somebody that believes in universal oneness say, well, which, which way is the path? Everyone's like, my way, my way came first. I know. Totally. So how do you, again, like I said, how do you just, I don't say how do you know because religion and, and faith is knowing the unknown in some capacity, like you just know it. So I'm not questioning that. But what do you say to the people that are, again, you know, more down the Jewish path right now? Like how do you, yeah. how is the translation of the Bible as it's gotten to you in this moment or over the past 25 years of your life? How do you know that the, what, 1400 years or how many years it's been passed down through? Like, how, how do you know? Yeah, totally. Well, I, I think if you do an honest study um, of the Bible and of the historicity of the Bible, it does provide resounding evidence in its favor. Um, so I think that that's worth looking into if this is, you know, for big questioners. Um, and I think the other thing is, again, it really, the, lynch, the, the, the centerpiece of it all is Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is who he said he was, which is the son of God. If he truly was, then there's a lot of things that are undeniable about it. Like that's the, that's the climax center point. And so there's a great book called The Case for Christ um, by, written by a lawyer who was kind of on the case to disprove it and got converted. So obviously it's from my standpoint, but it's a fascinating book on, on why there, are, there is a lot of evidence for Jesus Christ being the Son of God. Mm -hmm. um, and it's based on, did he rise from the dead, right? Because no one can raise himself from the dead. No human can physically do that. So if Jesus did that, then that proves that he is the son of God. And now that comes to be the, the very determining factor, right? So, so I think it comes down to that. Um, 
and we can make informed decisions, but it, it is based on what we get relayed to us, right? And so the Bible tells us that, um, that God's word is divinely inspired. So it's written by human authors, but inspired by his spirit that communicates him directly to us. So that's, you know, if I believe God's word to be God's word, then I believe that's why, you know, that verse tells us why. And so all these pieces line up when you read the scripture, it's just, do you believe it, you know? And again, and I think the other thing that's really fascinating about scripture, that's very hard to believe. I mean, there's so many tensions here again, and life is a tension and you know this well. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. So you have to marry these two things that seem like not to be, you can't marry. There's this tension of God is sovereign. He's in control of everything, but you also have man's free will and man's responsibility. And you're like, what is, I, which one is it? And we have to say, yes, it's both. Right. Okay. How does that work? I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's things like that, that, um, that is the gray that you have to live in. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing to just trust and obey then I think, um, because it, and I think that also speaks to one of the other tensions is that God, it talks about God predetermining who is going to be saved, which is also like, what the heck, you know, why would God choose some and not choose others? I don't have a great answer. I mean, the answer that I would give is that, um, I think that if you're, if you put yourself in God's shoes, say like, okay, I'm going to create everyone. I'm going to create humanity. Um, and if the point of everything is to give God glory, which we would say that's narcissistic, but he's perfect. So it's not necessarily, and I don't know. So there's all that argument, but mm -hmm. if you're God, like, and you create humans and they're perfect and that's great, you get some glory from that. But if you create humans and then you design this plan to where they fall away and then they're rebelling at you and they're your enemies and they hate you, and they don't want anything to do with you, and then you save them in spite of all that, like you send your own son and they kill him, and you through that you save them, like how much more glory are those people that are saved give to you? Because it's a gift that they didn't deserve. And when you give someone a gift you don't deserve, like, I don't, you, you know, for Christmas, like we give people gifts, like we get joy from giving gifts. And um, so I think there's so much joy and glory that gets through that. So again, there's, it's just this crazy... It's a crazy thing. It really is. Yeah. And, and I love it. I love your perspective and sharing it with me saying, like I said, this certainly wasn't the, the initial kickoff of work. I, <laughs> I it love it. <laughs> like I'm, I'm really far deep down. I'll call the metaphysics rabbit hole right now of understanding yeah. all the crossovers and similarity between a metaphysics mindset and the Christian based belief Bible and taking passages, passages and scriptures from the Bible and putting a spin on it that relates it more to a universal oneness and questioning who is quote unquote God. And I say quote unquote, again, not in a blasphemous way for you, those of you that are listening, but like, how do we define God? And because we can't ever know exactly who he is other than the scripture that was passed down that is always left to some sort of interpretation. And again, totally. again I'm, I'm super, like, I love these conversations because I'm able to take all this information that I, I'm digesting from everywhere and truly fit it as I say, to what serves me in the moment. So when you say that egotistical, like I believe we have to have our faith based around what serves us as long as it's a healthy serving. Like, yes, I, I can't justify going out and mass genocide because to me, the Bible told me to do it in some unique scripture. If I interpret it some different way, like, no, my mind doesn't work that way. But totally. yeah, so yeah. go ahead. You got oh, it's, just, it's just like, man, it is like, and I think, um, yeah, just that there's, there's a great book by, I don't know if you've heard of C.S. Lewis. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a great book called Mere Christianity that does an awesome job of kind of like 
um, presenting Christianity and like his, his style of writing is very like, um, how do I put it? Like intellectual, but more like base principles kind of thinking. Um, so he, he provides a good explanation of it there, which is kind of cool. And then I was actually reading this morning in another book of his called, um, weight of glory, which is a series of essays. And what was it? It was what you just talked about. Um, Oh, regarding, yeah. So his point was like that um, you can fit one into the other, but not necessarily. um, So basically saying like uh, religion and science. And he was saying that science does fit into Christianity, but Christianity doesn't fully fit into science. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like saying one goes before the other um, and helps complete the other, but it doesn't say that that removes the other. And so it's been interesting. I didn't do a good job of doing that justice, but um, read The Weight of Glory if you want more on that. It was was an interesting parallel. Well, I love it because saying you're touching base on a lot of things where I've read, give or take a book a week for the past two years. And not based off like trying to speed read and like rip through things. It's just, I allow myself the space and time every morning to read uninterruptedly until I get a message. Like until something comes to me of like, I got to apply this. And sometimes that's seven pages and sometimes it's 70. Like I don't really know when it's going to come. But it sounds like, like I can see, the listeners can't see this obviously on, on air, but I see a bookshelf over your shoulder and you've recited now at least seven books just in our 10 minutes together. <laughs> Talking about your reading habits, man. You, you, you go deep on some, of these, on some of these principles and theories. I love it, man. Learning is such a gift and um, I've been blessed to like grow in that mindset. That's one thing I talk about actually in my book is that learning is is not the same thing as receiving an education, right? Receiving an education is passive. Learning is active. And it wasn't until college, late college, I really learned how to learn. And since then, I've just been on a blitz, you know, because I love it. It's like, this is so, you, it's stimulating, it's life-giving. Um, so reading habits-wise, during golf, I listen to podcasts all the time. I listen to audiobooks all the time, sermons, because I was on the road so much that I just got to ingest all the time. Um, so that was amazing. And then through that, I've always loved reading. And so I try to, it's not as consistent as daily like you. I'm, I'm impressed. I need, to, I need to work on that. I love, I love that um, dedication to it because it really is just creating that space, right? And committing and seeing the value to it daily. Um, but I usually have two or three books at a time um, in different, I usually have one in kind of more of the religion side. And then I have one on more of the either business or health or optimization. Those are kind of my wheelhouses. So um, I'll have at least one of each of those going and maybe a third if it's just, you know, I don't know if I need diversity. Actually, I'm reading some Rumi right now, which I don't know if you're familiar with Rumi, but getting my poetry on, which is great, man. He's, he's blowing my mind in a lot of ways. So it's cool. Um, So yeah, I I think it's so important um, just to, it's such an important intake. You can't, you can't replicate what it is about reading words from a page, um, hearing something's good, but it's different. It's a different modem almost or medium of, of learning. So yeah, something I love doing and has really made me who I am today. You know, you are the, some of the five people you hang out the most with, but you're also the, some of the books you read. (laughs) So, well, of course, and what you're digesting and, and speaking of that digestion, like between the books that you've consumed and your life lessons and the podcasts and all the forces that make you who you are, you decided to go down the, the publishing route yourself, like self-publishing this, what I'll call massive, like as I've been writing this book for far too long, like you're 18 months in now to a writing, launching, PR blitz, like 
almost a national sensation with the fact of this book that's out. Like, let's, mm. let's talk about the book. What's the title? Where can we get it at? It's called From Here to There, A Quarter Life Perspective on the Path to Mastery. And um, you can get it on famemarks.com right now for pre-order and then it's going to be on Amazon shortly. So yeah, it's choosing the self-publishing route is really interesting. Um, I assume every role um, onto myself, which is good and bad. The, the really good thing about it though is that you learn what all goes into it and how to execute on all those things just by doing it. Um, it may not be perfect. It may not be the best that it could, but it's going to be really helpful because I'm going to gain really useful skills along the way. So um, it's been a lot of work, but I've learned a ton. I'm thankful for it. And the book is just, it's surreal, man. It really, like even speaking to you now is very surreal in the sense that even three years ago, I could never have imagined where I am in life and, and being at this place. I didn't plan on it. I didn't expect it. Um, it wasn't kind of my trajectory or goal, but it's all based on failure. And that's the beauty of it is that failure is the thing that teaches us more than anything else. And, um, and that's what I want to try to communicate when the, one of the things I want to try to communicate with this book is that failure is a tutor. It's a friend. It's someone to embrace as a help in life. Now it's not something to glorify. It shouldn't be something that we're proud of, but it should be something we view rightly. Right. And so, I mean, my whole life was spent on golf and being a professional golfer and, and it as a, quote unquote failure. So now what, right? Like when you're, I wrote a blog post, like when your dream hits a dead end, like what do you do? Right? Because it seems like life is over. You're going to have to start over again. Right. But whenever you hit a dead end, you never have to start over. You get to go maybe a few steps back and then pivot into the next thing. And it's equipped you for what is next. And so it's been really neat to, it's been really challenging. You know, I, I think the important thing for always for us to understand is that these things are never easy, but there's beauty in the battle. There's beauty in the fight. And that's really um, the joy in life is being able to fight through something to get to the other side and be able to look back and be like, man, this is so cool. Um, all the things that came together and now I get to hold this in my hands. And that's a really a, a fulfilling blessing that I'm so grateful for. Well, yeah, and I, I can't wait to get my hands on the book itself. But we talked, you, you, you made mention, you kind of brushed by it about that, the pain of failure. And when it comes to the golf career, and you, we, we touch base on playing from such a young age all the way through college, playing, I'll call it college ball, college golf, hitting the pro circuit. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to a professional golfer here. Like, you, you went out on the tour, right? Yeah. So I never made it to the PGA tour, um, which is, which is the goal of every professional golfer. Um, and there's three tiers usually kind of like baseball in that sense. Um, so I spent three and a half, almost four years on developmental tours. And I did get to a, a secondary tour on the one Asia tour I played in 2015. So, um, had some great opportunities, but wasn't able to capitalize. And then with the injury, the last year and a half, the momentum really got killed. And so it was kind of this trying to fight to get momentum back on my side right when I did get on my side. Um, and it, it's frustrating looking back as a competitor, as an athlete, like, man, I'm like, I didn't give myself a chance. Like I could do this still, but again, it's just, that's not what God had for me. And, um, it's knowing and being okay with that. And I think again, like the beauty of uh, the blessing that I feel of, of again, having not my identity in myself, but in God and back to the religion thing, um, is just that that is helpful for us when we're making transitions in life because it's so crushing when your identity is as a professional golfer to not do that anymore because you lost your identity. Mm -hmm. But 
when we're not defined by what we do, but who we are, those transitions are a lot more easy, right? And, and, um, and those are things that I'm sure you work on with your clients and, and all of us, right? It's, it's, it's that identity that's a big, it's a big factor in it. So it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a really stretching couple years with the injury because the whole time it's this unknown, can I keep playing? Is this going to be successful? Like what if it all ends in failure and having to face that and live in that tension for almost two years was really growing time. I'm sure. So our first question is, are you healed up now? Is your back good? Could you go out and play right now pain free or is it still a nagging injury? Thankfully it is healed up. Now I will say it's a caveat on that because when you take a deep dive into your body and solving the problem of your body, you grow tenfold in your awareness of your body. And then you start understanding, okay, like, is this because I'm more aware? Or is this because it's still injured? And so there's that gray, you know, and so I'm so much more hyper aware of my body that there's things that I feel like are still not back to normal. And part of that is just playing a lifetime of a unilateral sport. You're swinging one direction your whole life. That's not, you're going to create discrepancies. Mm-hmm. So there's that awareness. That's a bummer, but I just can live with that. It's okay. <laughs> so yeah. but thankfully I can play pain-free golf again. And I'm so thankful for that and feel very blessed because it's such a fun, I love the sport, you know, and, and I do want to compete again, whether it be just in amateur tournaments or whatnot. Um, I'd love to get back out there and compete eventually. Um, but I am thankful to, to be able to do it pain-free because that was a big question mark for a while. For sure. But, but golf to me from someone that has zero ability, almost no flexibility, and I'm a horrible golfer, just fully owning where I'm at. Yes. Like I look at this that it's the one sport that you could play in your 60s, 70s. Like every other sport to me has some sort of finite like uh, in the NFL, if you're 32, you're old and NBA, yeah. maybe 35. But like golfers, you just you get to just keep going like your dream might be on pause versus stopped. Totally. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I did entertain that for a bit. Um, but I will say after going down that road for a while and, and knowing the sacrifice and the work and the years it takes on average, it takes guys seven to 10 years to get the PGA tour. So it's not like an overnight. I mean, the 1% of the 1% are overnights, but that's such a small, small amount of people. The rest are grinding for a long time. So uh, my practicality realism side is like, I, I, the, unless I'm willing to commit again years of my life to doing that, the dream of professionally making a living off of it is likely not going to happen. And that's okay. Um, but being able to play your whole life is such a blessing, like you said. And it's a, it's a great sport because you learn a lot about your yourself and about life, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So then I have to know now that you're free of golf, now that you have a book coming out. I know we haven't touched base on it, but obviously speaking engagements across the country. We'll dive into some of your, your life optimization, performance coaching, some of the stuff. Let's talk about your daily routine. Like I'm a big routine guy. Like I, yeah. I do the same thing every day, seven days a week. It doesn't matter about weekends. It doesn't matter holidays. I'm always curious to know what a successful man such as yourself, like walk us through what makes you you? Like what does your day look like? 
I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm big on that too. It's, it's actually what I work with the people a lot on, right? So I think what's really massive is bookends. So starting and ending your morning and evening routines are massive. So morning routine for me looks like waking up, going to the bathroom, of course, um, and then getting the engine going. Um, sometimes I'll do a little yoga in the room just for a couple minutes or some push-ups or something. Um, and I'll usually do a foam roller to, to kind of decompress the spine, which is nice. Um, and then I, I start and end my day in God's word. So I read the Bible morning and evening. Um, and it's kind of like that needed just grounding reminder. Um, I spend the morning in New Testament, evening in Old Testament. It's a little more narrative. Um, and then I will, um, the other really important thing is I'll keep my phone on airplane mode at least an hour before bed and when I wake up um, and not check emails and that kind of stuff just to, just to be completely detached and present. Um, I used to meditate more consistently and that was during golf. I was doing headspace before every day when I got to the golf course, I did it every single practice, every single tournament because I knew how important it was. And since playing golf, I've kind of divulged from that practice. And last night I went to a meditation with my sister's 60 minute in LA, a really cool thing called the big quiet. And, um, man, I'm like, and I am a huge believer in uh, float tanks. So I, I have a membership at flotation tanks. So I do, those are 60 minute meditations too, basically. So, um, I do those at least once a month, but I need to get back into a daily meditation uh, practice just because of how helpful it is. So I'm wanting to, I'm, I'm going to be committing to, to instilling that. But, um, the other thing I love doing is intermittent fasting. So I do, um, just a restricted feeding window from basically 12 to, 6 or 7 p.m. Um, is the only time I eat, and the rest of the time is a fast. And then I try to do once a month of a 24-hour fast. And I found those really good for health, but the intermittent fasting is really good for focus, especially in the mornings. You just have very, you don't have to divest energy into making food or even processing food. Your body uses so much in burning and consuming and processing food that my mental energy and clarity is a lot more focused. And then during the day, um, right now I have those kind of three balls and I'm all moving forward. So unfortunately there's not really, um, precise daily schedules right now, but, um, I am excited for when that time does come and hopefully it will be soon. Um, but every day's schedule is going to be different, but I try to chunk my time into certain buckets. So I have those kind of three main buckets of the book of the coaching collaboration business and of the coffee side business I do. And so I try to chunk bigger portions of time for which needs it um, and, and address those needs with several hours. Then following the, um, what is it called? The uh, Pomodoro technique of 30 to 40 minutes on a few minutes off, kind of spacing it so that you can be hyper-focused for a time and then detach and come back. Yeah. I love it. I love to just, just pick and, and pull little pieces from different people's schedules and, and see what's working for you. Because obviously, it's a coy saying, but I've, I found it to be true. Success always leaves clues. I mean, you look at the all the way back to, you know, we start talking about Napoleon Hill and some of the success principles that he pointed out. You go around and you travel and you see what successful people are doing and you talk to enough successful people. And even the people that probably you're coaching in some capacity are truly successful. Like, it's crazy. When I was unsuccessful, I was not willing to use a coach. Like, I'm like, man, this makes no sense. Forget a coach. They can't teach me anything. And the minute I started becoming more successful, I instantly was like, man, all these other really successful people have coaches. They have people helping them out. They have people, I call it shining light on the dark parts that they can't see. Like, mm -hmm. I need one too. And so we're, we're super, at least I, I'll say I'm super blessed and privileged 
to get to spend time with people that are producing at massive levels and they all have some sort of routine or schedule that of course men like you and myself, it sounds like we're there to twist the knobs a little bit and I'll say help someone on their life versus living in their life. Mm. You know, so it's, I love gathering pieces from you and I appreciate you sharing those little nuggets of wisdom. Yeah. And I think that's also like the benefit of having a podcast, right? I mean, that's, I, I've done it for a couple of years now on the side and it's been more of a passion project than anything, but dude, like I never expected how beneficial it was personally to just interview and talk with inspiring or, or motivated people because you learn so much just in these conversations mm-hmm. and it's such a personal benefit, not alone, let alone getting to share that with others is so cool. So, um, I'm with you and, and, that's the thing. You got to be lifelong learners just because you reach a certain age or a certain point or trajectory. It never stops. Like, and, and it's funny, the older you get, the more you realize the extent of your own ignorance too. So you start knowing that there's more to know and that you know less than you thought you knew more and more the older you get. And it doesn't work that way for everyone, but it, it, if we're on that path, it will. Absolutely. And, and Thane, speaking of people being on that path, I want to give everybody listening that chance to connect with you on a deeper level. Like your, your coaching practice I know is incredibly successful. Like I don't expect that you can magically take on another 15 or 20 clients, but I'm sure there's a, you could, you could do me the honor of eking out, you know, 20, 30 minutes sometime in your schedule to maybe connect with one or two people. I love it. Yeah. How could that happen? Yes. So thanemarks.com is really where I house all of that. Um, and I always love, um, connecting with people. So that's the thing, like part of this business and you can relate to this, right? Is it's so fulfilling because you're really helping others be who they're truly called or created to be, right? Like everyone has unique giftings and abilities that the world needs. Um, and a lot of times we live in bondage, like you even talked about with Cody, right? We're in bondage to all these things that, that keep us from recognizing and owning our true potential. And to be able to help people in that way is the most fulfilling work there is, right? Um, but you can only lead others after you've led yourself. And so I think that's the important process is you have to lead yourself well before you can ever help lead others well. And so that's what life has helped us do, right? And now we get to pass that on to others. So thanemarcus.com, send me an email at connect at thanemarcus.com. Um, and uh, I would love to hear from you. And, and yeah, maybe hop on a call and talk about what being teammate, I call my clients teammates, because really that's what we are, we're teammates. So what being a teammate could be. And um, yeah, look forward to hearing from you in that way. Yeah, I love that. And I appreciate you being able to, I know I put you on the spot and didn't even bring that up before the interview, but I just feel like with who you are and the message that you have and that passion that you have, like there's just so much there. So everybody that's listening can get value from what you've gone through, where you're at now, at least if nothing more, staying in touch with you as you progress on your journey with the public speaking, like maybe coaching is not right for you right now, but things going to be in your town. Have it, you know, hosting a seminar or being a part of something bigger or, you know, just connecting with him on social media. Like there's so much value that you're committed to daily. Like I see it everywhere. It's, it's not like, it, it's funny to me. Quite often it seems like we're, I call this like the best selfish industry in the world because admittedly I put out all this content because it keeps me sharp and I get to help people, which makes me feel good. So it's completely selfish. Like I would yeah. love to say it's like this other thing, but like, no, when I see a client go from wherever they're at to wherever they want to get to, it's the biggest rush in the world. Like, and it's not that I did it, they did it, but I'm a part of it. And yeah. so it's, it, go ahead. It's cool to see you like share so much and all the stuff you put out there. 
Thank you. Yeah, no, and I think like, again, uh, again, this is the worldview I operate off of. So it's not to just keep saying it, but as a Christian, like I really think that that's how God's designed us. Like he's designed us to love and serve others. And we get so much personal joy and benefit from that. Like it's just who we're called to be. And so that's what's so great about this work is we get to love and serve others well in that. And it's so cool because we experience that benefit and it's just a blessing. But I'm curious, what is, um, because it's not that the, the challenges never ever stop. They just, um, we get better at handling them, right? We get more equipped. So what, what do you say from your perspective has been the most challenging for this season of life for you? Overcommitment. Mm. That as the podcast has gained notoriety, as I put myself out there more and stop working with just a selective handful of clients that are more word of mouth. It sounds like comparable to your journey. Um, I, I was very fortunate then and came from a, a fairly successful internet marketing background where there were a, there's a lot of affluence associated with that, but also then a lot of limiting beliefs, uh, keeping up with others, not honoring their own commitment to themselves, not honoring their families, just things that I realized from being in that pit of despair and then gravitating and, and navigating towards the, you know, the path of prosperity that there's, Others that I was associated with back then also then saw my transformation and kept asking me for help. Like, how did you do this? And so as I put myself out there more and more, and I still answer every direct message. I still answer every email myself. Like I don't have a team and I'm not, I'm still in my own, what I call process of progress. Like I'm not to where I want to get to. I don't know that I'll ever arrive there. Like my goal is to impact 120 million people's lives before I, before I go on. Like that's, that's my number now. And in that, it's just, you know, when I put out something like a one of seven, like I, I have room to work with seven people, didn't think, you know, sure, I, you get it. We get a couple downloads with podcasts, people listen, they give you some feedback. You never really know what's going on. I had such a massive feedback to me, like more than a thousand people are reaching out saying wow. like, I want to be one of the seven. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm way overcommitted. So not only having time of like, I own a marketing company and, and, the podcasts and content creation and then coaching. And it's, it's, it's caused me to really focus on, you know, almost a Robert Keller one thing principle. Like what's the one thing that brings me passion and joy every day? Well, it's really coaching. Like I, I love that. And everything else has to be an extension of that and also feed that, or it has to be slowly shifted off the schedule. Like mm. some of the companies I'm a part of, some of the things I, I am doing involved with need to take much more of a passive role, if any role at all, and go all in on what brings me joy. And what brings me joy right now is conversations like this, which are obviously massively impactful that adds value to the world every day. And then spending time to create systems and processes to help thousands of people at the same time. Like you, you get it better than anybody. We have 24 hours in every day and to make those massively deep impactful changes takes time. But I also want to create things that when people aren't with me on the phone for that hour, hour and a half, what more can I push them to do? How can I have my hand on their back? Like, just keep going, keep going. Like, you don't need me all the time. And so that when you get to the end of the 90, 120, 160 days, that they are on fire and there's no codependent relationship. Like, I, that's a big thing to me is, I don't want you to feel like you need me forever now because you worked with me for a little while. Like, no, that's a failure on my behalf. Yes. Oh yeah. It's so true. Cause like it's that tension. I mean, being earlier on in my career than you in this, in that work is just that that's the tension. I think that anybody faces in that space is you get, you get the pat on your own back when they need you, but that's not the point of the work. The point of the work is for them not to need you. You're empowering them and creating them ways to take ownership of their own life without you. And so, and so it's like, it's a weird tension, but 
and then it's cool because like as you get momentum, then you're able to reach more people, but it it puts constraints in your time and there's trade-offs to that, right? And so it's funny how we always want the next step in the process, um, but really, again, the problems don't don't leave, they just change. They look different and they're greater because you have more responsibility now, but you're more equipped to handle them. So it's still the same experience, right? Right. No, that, that's exactly right. It's crazy. So, so Thane, I got to ask, if, if there was one thing that you could leave my listeners with, one lesson, one piece of advice, what would that be today? Mm. Well, I started with take ownership and never settle. That's great. Um, and I think that is really important. I think the thing I would add to that is kind of a threefold statement that um, uh, co- commitment is necessary. You have to be committed. Like you really, that's a really hard thing to do, especially when there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of places you can go, um, a lot of interests or passions. You have to be committed to see the true fruit of it over time. And that's full on commitment with no contingency plans. The second thing is that failure is likely and that's not bad. Um, to embrace failure, to know that it's probable, likely, and it's actually going to teach you a lot more than success would. Um, and then the third is that learning is the journey. Learning is really the journey of life. Like it, everything is learning. You're learning every single day, every opportunity you have, you're provided a chance to learn and you're going to grow as a human and as a individual, as a result of that in your work and helping others and serving others and whatever capacity that looks like. So I think commitment is necessary failure is likely and learning is the journey is kind of the, um, the, the closing regards I'd like to say. I love it, Thane. I'm truly honored that you shared time and space with me. The listeners gave so many pearls of wisdom. I'm excited to sit back and be able to take a passive, maybe slash active role. We'd love to see how we can collaborate in the future and create some more magic to make impactful pieces and parts of the world together. Definitely. No, it's been, it's been a pleasure, my friend, and definitely um, have enjoyed this last hour and excited for more to come. This is going to be cool to see what God does with all. I could not agree more. And, and with that, if you're able to take the lessons, mindsets, and methodology of Thane and apply them to your life every day, I'll guarantee you one thing. And that thing is that every day you'll get shit done.